Greetings, everybody, and welcome to The Pod and the Pendulum. So normally we talk about horror franchises, but this month we're tackling holiday horror. And we've got a really good one today. We've made a list, we've checked it twice, we've definitely found out who's naughty and nice, and we're out there carving up the wicked and throwing it in some sacks. We're talking the 1980 Christmas set early slasher movie, the one that John Waters himself calls his favorite Thanksgiving and Christmas movie, Christmas Evil, alternately known as You Better Watch Out. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and I'm joined once again by my merry band of good cheer carolers. Up first from the Bodies of Horror podcast, Miss Nicole Goble. Nicole, how are we doing? Doing very well. Excited to talk about this wild, wonderful wonderful movie it's a good one i think this was your suggestion too no 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 it was not i believe this one was rachel oh and she rachel mentioned the last moment yeah Yeah. and then i i said yeah that's definitely i second that one yeah (laughs) okay well you get no credit then nicole fair enough zero credit what can you do feel free I, you can steal people's work. Stealing people. Well, that would probably get you in the naughty book, but whatever. <laughs> that would make me the AI of the pot in the pinch. I guess it would. I guess it would. Also joining us from Bloody Disgusting and the Movies for Life podcast, Mr. Brian Kuiper. Brian, how are we? I am so excited. I've got my Christmas Evil coffee mug. I've got Look my at that. Christmas Evil t-shirt on. Um, this is my second favorite Christmas movie, period. Uh, my favorite Christmas horror movie. I love this one to death, and I am so excited to talk about it. Wow. Yeah. All right, then. Well, you know what? I, I guess I will go back to our typical question, and I'll ask, um, when did you first encounter this movie, and what made you fall in love with it, both of y'all? I'll let you like me? Okay. First. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, you're dressed up and you've got the coffee <laughs> mug. So usually I say ladies first, but like right. you elbow Nicole out of the way. And just like <laughs> talk about this. Well, I think I saw this for the first time I was in college. I was sort of staying in my parents' house, I think, for over Christmas. And I turned on TCM. It was really late at night. So it was like TCM Underground. And this came on and I was like, oh, Christmas Evil. I I think I might have heard of that one, uh, I, and I expected it to be, I was disappointed by it, because I expected it to be Silent Night, Deadly Night, and it was not Silent Night, Deadly Night, and so I was like, I don't think I get this movie, 
But then, you know, over the years, I it, the I can't remember when it came up again, and I was like, I really should watch that again. And so I got the Vinegar Syndrome, Syndrome Blu-ray. I put it on. I was like, oh, wow, this has really got something going on. And it's become a tradition. I noticed I haven't had a, lo- a letterbox for that long. I've logged this movie six times since <laughs> since having letterboxed. Um I have watched it every year at least once since mm-hmm. uh, since I uh, started sort of rediscovered it. Uh, I think it, I was listening to a podcast and someone mentioned it as being a really kind of underrated, you know, Christmas horror movie. And I took a look and it was again and it was like it just became instantly like one of my favorite movies. I think, I think the, uh, it helps, you know, sort of the taxi driver parallels and things like that help Mm -hmm. for me. Cause, um, I'm a big Scorsese fan and, uh, taxi driver is, it, it joggles for first or second place. I I, I enjoy watching Goodfellas most, but taxi driver is just very, very profound to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I I just love this movie and yeah. just li- I notice more. I like it more every time I watch it. You know, the, the other movie that struck me watching this for the show, it's like the depressed version of John Favreau's elf. <laughs> just right? watched that the other day ourselves. Oh. Yeah. You, yeah. Just, just someone just who's like, that delusional. Yeah. yeah. Just like the really sad version and probably how Elf would actually play out in right. reality. Right. Maybe a little less stabbing, although who knows in 2023. Yeah. But it feels a lot like that as well. For Nicole, sure. how about yourself? I also saw this when I was in college. And I, unlike a lot of people who are like, oh... I'm going in expecting Silent Night, Deadly Night, which was a movie that had, without even seeing it, traumatized me as a kid because I had seen the box art. Right. Um, yeah. And was like, the fuck is this? Like, Santa's going to kill me. I don't want him coming to my place. I don't want gifts. Like, this is not for me. Um, so, um,. I actually am a huge fan of New Year's Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is incredible. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if this is going to, you know, if this is like before we get to New Year's, we're dipping our toes into Christmas Evil. Um, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I think anyone who watches this movie with any kind of expectations kind of gets spun around. Mm-hmm. Um because it really is just chock full of some really interesting character development, a really rich and kind of interesting story that you don't see um, in films like this. One of the reasons I really love holiday horror is that it takes something that is supposed to be very pure and sweet and good and full of happiness and cheer, um, but there's also this very dark side um and i like that we're exploring kind of all avenues of that in this film so yeah it feels like the best 
holiday movies have a reminder of that. Even like you have the horror movies like Gremlins mm-hmm. is one of my favorite holiday horror movies. And even oh, that sure. has some not just like Phoebe Kate's tremendous speech about <laughs> her dad breaking his neck trying to do a little Christmas cheer. But like as you get older Billy uh, I can't think of the main character's name. Um Zach Zach the actor's name is whatever the Billy's dad. Mm-hmm. He goes from Yes. He goes from being like really comical, like look at this guy and his pathetic inventions to like this guy's sad. Mm-hmm. It's just like what a sad existence um this is to be away from your family on Christmas Eve because like you just have to be out there kind of like hitting the pavement and you can't make any of your dreams work. Right. Uh, it's a wonderful it's life. It's a wonderful is, life with that my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. And which we talked about last year right. in great detail. The most depressing movie ever mm-hmm. until the ending pretty much. Until the last 10 minutes of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And you need that. Mm-hmm. Um a Christmas carol, so much of that is steeped in even though the end of a Christmas carol is uh joyous and uplifting you're still left with a man who is probably in the last quarter of his life and he has so much to make up for but you look at like man that's a life wasted like there's so much that you'll never be able to make up for uh there's some sadness there yeah and i think also i mean bringing up kind of just the story of a christmas carol and scrooge it's also about like i having to reflect on all of your mistakes, your Mm -hmm. shortcomings, and how you'll never truly be able to atone for all of it. All you can do is, with whatever time you have left, is try to do better. Yeah. Which, in and of itself, is, I guess, an uplifting story, but it's also like, we're all going to be dead soon. Mm -hmm. So, just don't be an asshole today. (laughs) <laughs> Try not to be an asshole today. That's good advice. Yeah. Merry yeah. Christmas, listeners. Yeah. That's the message. We'll be back next week. We're going to leave you with that note. I yeah. write it in all my holiday cards. Yep. We'll all yeah. be dead soon. <laughs> yeah. Merry, you are. Merry Christmas. Uh, we have one less holiday to get through before we're in the grave. Yeah. Don't Excellent. be an asshole. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. So. I wanted to ask before we talk about the movie, since like so much of this centers on Harry and his mental illness after he catches his mom and his dad dressed as Santa, like in this really intimate moment, I was curious, like when we all learned about the truth about jolly old St. Nick and not only that, did it affect the way that you looked at Christmas and experienced Christmas in like the years after that? Yeah. So actually, mine was so I I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was pretty young, um, and it was Christmas Eve, um, like the afternoon. Um, and we were, uh, I was helping my mom do some cleaning and we were doing laundry and I was putting some stuff away and I was in a closet and I saw tucked away some gifts and they hadn't been wrapped and they were specifically things that I had written down for Santa, 
like this this was not supposed to be intel for my mom um and so i start walking out of the closet and my mom is like oh shit she's like well you know sometimes santa likes to give us visions of what he may leave us um if we're good and i was like no that's not how it works absolutely not <laughs> um i'm like you went and bought some stuff so this is all a lie and i just want some cocoa now and let's get on with the charade and how did that impact you was that really hard were you like did it kind of like dampen the christmas spirit no because i to me like I, like, Santa, I just never really cared about Santa. Um, Like I said, I was kind of, like, freaked out by the concept of just, Mm -hmm. like, some strange man. Because of Silent Um, Night, Deadly Night? Well, that, I also have, I think I've talked about this maybe on an episode here, but I used to have this reoccurring night terror um, for, like, years upon years upon years of... Um, people breaking into our house mm-hmm. um, and killing my mom and my sister and me trying to like get to the door in time to stop them and not being able to. Um, and so I just had a lot of panic about like home invasion. And I was like, why do we do this? Like, this just seems silly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't about Santa. Um, I obviously, like the gifts are always nice. But, um, so it wasn't about Santa, so it didn't take, like, that particular shine off, but it just made me, like, disrespect, um, like, not, I shouldn't say disrespect, but it just made me realize what a bad liar my mom was. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, you can't even try. Like, come up with something good. Like, Santa broke his leg, and he's not going to be able to make it, so he, like, Backed me this list because this was before email, right? Um, and she couldn't even muster that. So nope. This is why I'm also a bad liar. I had no one to teach me. Your mom couldn't teach you how to lie, but I like <laughs> how it's like it. You lost respect for your mom. Because um, parents I, are supposed to be good liars. Yeah. I never. And look, we'll probably get, I'll probably get like an angry message or two from this. There are the parents out there, like, and however, like some parents, like, just straight up tell their kids, like, no, there's no Santa, like, it's mom and dad, like, whatever. And that's fine, like, if that's what you want to do, like, hey, no judgment. But what I hate is when those same parents, like, won't play along with, like, other kids that are outside of their family. It's like, Uh I refuse to lie. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, like, don't rob other kids of that for so i just hate that like in order like you're lying um you're lying to your children uh so therefore you're a bad parent it's like sometimes it's okay to have a little bit of magic have a little bit absolutely you know that's part of like i don't know of any children aside from harry in this movie that grew up super traumatized uh, thinking that Santa was real and then found out that he wasn't. I know for me, I found out about Santa 
pretty late. Like I was actually a pretty late bloomer. Um, probably double digits in age, like past the age where I should not have, um, you know, probably 23. Uh, <laughs> like, no, so I'm not quite that old. Like, probably like after my kid turned five and realized like she wasn't getting presents. And I'm like, geez, I thought you were good all year. What happened? Uh, and then someone pulled me aside and said, you know, you have to buy the presents. No, I was probably like fifth or sixth grade. <laughs> and we were taking my sister to see the Easter bunny. And I just remember like looking at the Easter bunny at the mall and like, that's not a giant bunny. Like, that's a dude in a suit. Like, that's a dude in a big costume. And I looked at my mom, and I'm like, there's no Easter bunny, is there? And she's like, no. And how have you not figured this out sooner? And I'm like, I don't know. And then I'm like, that probably means there's no Santa, isn't there? She's like, no, there's no Santa. Don't say anything to your sister. I'm like, okay. And it kind of did dampen the holiday for me like once you realize it's your parents buying all the presents like it is it does i think to a certain extent suck a bit of the magic out like he definitely comes back or came back when we had our daughter but even then like she wasn't the hugest like santa person in the whole world and then once she found out there wasn't one it's kind of like all right, Christmas morning, here's a bunch of stuff you add. Like, we have to kind of like badger her for a list. And she's like, whatever, like I'll get it to you when I get it to you. I guess it's good, but, you know. For me, it was, uh, I the story of how I learned about it didn't really, isn't really that interesting. I think I was just like, oh, talking about Santa or something like that. And my mom just kind of sat me down and said, okay, so... I'm going to just break this to you now. I don't even remember how old I was. It was a little... You were three. No, it, it was definitely <laughs> not that young. It was it was, it was, was probably older than I should have been, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe eight or something. I don't remember exactly. Maybe it was younger than that. I don't know. But what is more interesting is how my kids found out um, because we never told them. We never... We played along... We play along to some extent to this day with the whole Santa idea, but mostly as a joke to them (laughs) Mm -hmm. because, um, my oldest, we were at church or something like that. He pulled a book out and it actually said in this book, like a children's book that they had set out that Santa isn't real. (laughs) And so, but he was like, he's so analytical. He was like, Oh, that makes sense. Um, that's fine. And then, and then he, he had no issue with it. He was Mm -hmm. fine. And then, um, we, but he made sure to keep it a secret from his younger siblings. So he would wink at us when he was talking about Santa. It's like maybe Santa, a little adult. Yeah. You know, he had a big secret. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It was, it actually kind of was he's, and he had no problem with it. My, um, my youngest, it was probably he was probably eight or nine before he finally mm-hmm. gave in completely and said, "Yeah, I don't think Santa's real." Because <laughs> it was mm-hmm. just kind of like, "I'm pretty sure it's you guys," but I'm holding on to a little bit of it just in case. Yeah, you yeah, know, you gotta it, hedge your bets a little bit. Yeah, so 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 uh, both uh, my middle child and my youngest right. were were, were kind of they they hedged their bets a little bit more than yep. than my oldest and it's just kind of funny. So even now we kind of tease them because we still literally tomorrow morning. I mean my oldest is 17. 
we're, <laughs> we're taking them down to get their pictures with Santa. Um, I love that. And it's, and it's just become a tradition and it's fun yeah. and, and we have a good time. So, um, you know, it's, it, and <laughs> now my youngest favorite movie is Violent Night. So, hey, mm-hmm. um, we, <laughs> so he, he believes in Santa, but only, you know, the David Harbor Santa. Only can, the ass-kicking Santa. Yeah, the one that can blow things up. Um, that's Excellent. That's the Santa he loves. So, so uh, <laughs> on a semi-related note, where are we on Elf on the Shelf? Because I feel like this is the thing that really divides people. Uh, because, like, my mom got one for our daughter, and my wife was, like, adamant that she did not want to put it up because she's like, this is just teaching kids to you know like accept the police state in surveillance <laughs> and i'm like and i'm like it's a little elf that's gonna like sit yeah. on the toilet and draw on her and like have whiskey i'm like just whimsy yeah. you know and where are we on elf on the shelf we did elf on the shelf for a lot of years and mm-hmm. they would like talk to it and stuff like that you know and um whisper what they wanted and things like that and so it it was just a fun little thing and um now it was just like hey where's it gonna be today Mm -hmm. you know and so i don't think it got put out this year but it it was last year even and none of them were were um buying into it at that point they were just like where where is my wife gonna hide the the elf at this point you know I feel like you are far more appropriate than I am as well. (laughs) If I had more time, I would be, I I would have that elf doing some crazy stuff. So our elf had orgies, (laughs) you know, why wouldn't you do things like that? You know, because why not? Nicole, you, I mentioned elf on the shelf. A white Russian or something mm. like that, like yeah. the dude, you know. Of course. Yeah. Nicole, what is your thoughts on Elf on the Shelf? Um, I would like to subscribe to your wife's newsletter. Um, I think you and her would get along. Um, because this sounds exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a horrible um thing. No, I mean, I just trust no home that I go into that has it. Because it's like, really? what? Well, what are you hiding? Like, what are you hiding, and why are you spying on me? I think they're all spy cams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't trust them, and I will destroy them if I go into a home. Have you done it. that? Like, have you ever pulled the elf apart in front of the child? Going, this is your enemy, and then pop the elves. I haven't, but will you? Wow, I give me a minute, and I'll make some plans. I'll, I, I'll find a home to invite myself into and be like. I just watched a video where a dude's uncle, like these two little kids, are uncle dressed as the Grinch and like snuck in to like steal their presents while they were watching a movie. And <laughs> one of the, and the, and one of the kid, the older of the two kids, absolutely housed the uncle to the point where the dad had to restrain the kid because he was just going right for the nuggets and like would not stop. Like absolutely went ballistic. And it was oh, actually, man. it went from funny to scary because like this kid was like not having it. And it was like supposed to be this fun, like, oh, let's create a memory where like your uncle dressed like the Grinch and like pretended to steal some gifts. And the kid was like, no, 
and like was like he had prepared his whole life for this moment <laughs> and just absolutely went you know how like like how many like seven-year-old kids could i beat up not even one this uncle could not beat up one seven-year-old child uh it was amazing all right let's talk this movie sorry we got a little distracted there but i think these are fun so (laughs) brian you talked and, and nicole you both talked about it i think that Silent Night, Deadly Night, like, sucks up a lot of the attention when it comes to the killer Santa Claus movies. But mm-hmm. this is a lot more going for it. Yeah. Like, despite its shoestring budget and its bare bones production, thematically, like, it's a lot richer movie. There's a lot more going on under the surface. It's this really wonderful character study. And I just think it's, like, a lot more unnerving. Oh, Silent definitely. Night, Deadly Night, don't we? I actually don't like the first Silent Night, Deadly Night very much at all. I think mm-hmm. it's it's so mean spirited, and it's just uh, it it it's really a rough movie. I actually love Part Two. I know I'm in wow. the minority because Part Two is just so nuts. It is it's it's bad. It's but it's so it's inter- horrible. But it's so entertaining. I I I just can't get is enough it? of. I I can't I cannot get enough of all the eyebrow acting in that movie and mm-hmm. you know all the garbage day and all that all that I I have so much fun with part two I'm not gonna lie and then actually I kind of like four and five too <laughs> three's okay um, but um, yeah I I kind of don't like the first movie I I like the first one just fine. Um, but I, I don't know. I've I always just kind of felt like it was a default, like it's a horror movie set at Christmas, and there wasn't a ton at the time like we have now. We have lots more holiday horror to choose from, and so I I just always like to me it. I don't know. It's certainly would never make like. A list of top five. No, no. I remember the hubbub of Silent Night, Deadly Night. When sure. It came out. Yeah. Like so I remember being a kid and remember all of like the spectacle and protest. And I feel like this movie, in some ways, is a lot more damaging to the Santa brand in some ways, and a lot more like if kids knew about. This movie, like, yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night has a lot more, like, explicit violence and a lot more explicit sexuality and sexual violence going on, Mm -hmm. which, you know, if you're a little kid, like, that would be bad to probably see Santa doing some of those things. But in terms of, like, how, like, how earnest Harry portrays Santa in here uh, and just, like, how he's not, it's not played as a joke. It's played, like, very straight. That, like, to me, that is so much more scary in some ways and so much more sad. Like, there's a lot more pathos here that um, if they were able to get some of that sweet, sweet kind of, like, protest and marketing behind it, like, this would have become, like, a lot better known right away. Yeah. Because it would have been just, like, much more notorious. Like, this really... It really like found its legs like after like John Waters started to talk about it and said, I show this to my friends every year. And then, you know, it found its way in like home video and DVD, you know, years, decades after its release. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember it just kind of being lost to time for a long time. You know, showing up on something like um, TCM Underground was sort of a boon to it as well, you know, Um, because, yeah, and, you know, like Silent Night, Deadly Night, it got pulled from theaters. Everyone talks about that. It's like, well, it had already made its money back, so (laughs) no harm, no foul. Yeah. And so, and then it made a killing no pun intended actually uh on home videos and so that's when you ended up with 700 sequels you know but i yeah that it's it's fine um but uh, this movie uh, i think you know brandon maggart is a big piece of that too as you know fiona Apple's dad, uh as yeah. <laughs> as uh harry stad stanling is is really great in this movie. And it's sort of sort of a shame he didn't get to do other things, you know, and really stretch his wings and show up in other movies. Um, the biggest thing I could find for him, like looking through his credits, because he was one of those 70s and 80s, like that guys. Sure. Who he appeared in like 40 things over the course of like 10 years, like every TV show, every movie did like the world according to Garp. And he would be like seventh down on the bill, but he worked sure. steady. Yeah. He which is did great. A, sh- a show called brothers, which ran for like 120 episodes in the mid eighties, which I've never heard of. And uh, I looked it up and apparently it was about two older brothers. And he was one of them that just, and they're both conservative discover that they're like the youngest brother has come out as like an openly gay man in the eighties and they wind up being like supportive of him and try to help him like kind of navigate the world after that. And I have like never heard of this. I've show. never heard of that either. Wow. It ran apparently for like a hundred and almost 120 episodes. And it's the closest thing to like a starring role he ever has, where he uh-huh. plays like the second brother. Uh, of the three of the three it's like the or the third brother of the three so he's one of the three main stars of it and it's just like lost to history like for the, especially for the mid 80s like that's a fairly not even fairly that's a very progressive concept yeah, like right in the middle of the height of the aids epidemic and the reagan mm-hmm. years like to have that on for what would be about five or six seasons that's kind of incredible yeah that is wow i news to me interesting yeah 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 i think he was also pretty big in doing a lot of theater work Mm -hmm. um which is how he met fiona's mom uh because fiona's mom was a singer um and so uh yeah it he's really incredible and is such a key part to making i think all of these like interesting bits and pieces of this film really pay off and work because I think without him kind of giving the performance that he does, I think it would just be strange. Um, And I think that some of the commentary that's there wouldn't kind of come through. And so, yeah, I, his performance is really special. Yeah. It's so sincere. It's um, fully committed. It's really a spectacular performance, uh, especially for, like you mentioned, um, a movie that, I mean, it's flawed. You can see, you know, the that it's 
you know, not real snow on the ground. It's like, you know, cotton batting and <laughs> all kinds of things that there are limitations of the budget, shall we say. But um, that central performance, especially, um, and a lot of the supporting performances just really elevate the yeah. film as a whole. Um, it It's structured a lot like John Carpenter's Halloween in that you have this inciting incident at the sure. start, which we'll talk about. And then the last 30 minutes, you get to the meat and potatoes of like a slasher movie. You know, once you get to the once you get to the incident outside the church, that's when like the horror movie elements really pick up in earnest. Mm -hmm. But even then, there's still a lot of character development. Yeah, there's a lot of back and forth between horrific violence and sort of like these moments of pleasantness. It's very Mm -hmm. interesting how it's structured. But what you in Carpenter's Halloween, like in between that, there's like this massive stretch where you get to know Lori mm-hmm. and her friends and like not a lot happens. Like it's just the presence of Michael is there and there's a lot of tension and build up. And here you have that as well. But except except instead of getting to know the victims, you're getting to know the killer. It'd almost be like, well, what if we follow Michael around in in um, Smithfield Grove? Like what if we just follow him around there the whole time uh, as opposed to following Laurie around. What if we get to know him? Like here you get to know Harry and you get to know why he is the way that he is and you're getting to know him. You don't really get to know the victims at all, but structurally it's very similar and pacing wise, it's really similar to Carpenter's movie. And I think it really works because of that. If this was just an out and out, you wake up and like Harry is crazy and like he wakes up on Christmas Eve and decides everybody's been naughty and I'm going to start punishing people like we're probably not remembering this movie too fondly. But having mm-hmm. that close to like 45 minutes to an hour where you see him and you're like he really feels off, but you also feel for him and you feel how lonely he is. Yeah, uh, it really works. I think one of the things I really like about how this film, I don't know if it necessarily speaks to, to anything related to the structure, because I think you're exactly right um, comparing it to Halloween. But uh, maybe it's a more of a tonal thing. But I really, really like that this film really has this unique and profound balance of getting us into the mind mm-hmm. of Harry and then just giving us these glimpses from the outsider perspective or reality to be like, no, something is really off. And that's why like, you know, the fake snow and, and certain right. uh-huh. this still work right. because yeah. this is a constructed reality mm-hmm. that he's kind of living in. And yeah. we see both sides. We see, you know, kind of this full, um, kind of uh, sequences of, of him really living in that space. And then we also get to see these little snippets of reality to be like, no, this is actually what's happening and it's not great. Mm-hmm. Do you, speaking of that, like opening sequence, um, where do you feel, how do you feel that magical realism works? Like, I think you get that even from like Jump Street knowing that at a very young age, like Harry is touched because you see he and his family like 
disappear from the steps. Like right. they don't go up the steps. Like they snap out of existence. And when his father goes up, the, and we're assuming it's his father, correct? I mean, I think that's yeah. the assumption we're supposed to make. Mm-hmm. When his father disappears up the chimney, he doesn't like come in and out the front door. Like he comes down the chimney and then he like magically flies up the chimney again, which we know can't happen. Well, how do we think that works in terms of like cluing us in like, okay, something is clearly not right here with this young boy. We know we have an unreliable narrator. uh, And so I think without this beginning working for you, the ending won't work for you. Yeah, because uh, if you can buy into what's happening here, you'll go along for the ride at the crazy end. Um, And I also think there's something interesting that goes on here is we make an assumption, I think, as viewers while we're watching this. At least the first time, I assume that Harry sort of goes a little nuts because, oh, yeah, it is his father. It's, you know, that's sort of the assumption. But when you get to the end, you sort of realize not entirely. What bothered him more was that his little brother, Phil, who's, you know, a couple years younger than him, was like, that's definitely daddy. Come on. You know this. Mm -hmm. Come on. It's like, and he was, he's so upset that his little brother doesn't believe in Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. That is really what makes him want to become Santa and prove to his little brother that Santa is real. Um, it's not so much necessarily that he saw, you know, he, uh, entirely at least. There's, there's, it's just a really um, interesting approach, I think. That is, um, it's hard to describe to me. I, I have trouble sort of quantifying exactly how to how to put it out there. But um, it's uh, it's I I don't think uh, so much of the time it would be like, all right, this he saw <laughs> you know like like in Silent Night Deadly Night he sees Santa someone dressed as Santa you know kill his parents and you know assault his mother and so he snaps and goes crazy and that's i don't really feel that way here you know mm-hmm. it, it it's because it seems like it would put him off from santa entirely but instead it draws him to wanting to be santa yeah. it's um i don't know it's fascinating i mean and i'm not a mental health professional so i wouldn't know how to describe any of these things in those terms either I feel what it does is it displaces the burden of responsibility to where Phil has to become his brother's keeper yeah. at a really young age. That's right. He does. And you mm-hmm. see that at the end of this movie where like Phil is kind of like, he obviously loves his brother. Mm-hmm. Like there's a part of him that loves and cares for him, but he's also kind of had it like from the age of six years old, he's had to be the one to kind of like, rein Harry back in and put up with Harry in the shenanigans. And like, that's a lot to put up with at a really young age. And then you get into adulthood and, you know, Phil kind of wants to go out and start his own family and take care of his own children. And you see Phil has two kids 
and it's not quite as pronounced. Like it's definitely not as explicit as it is with like Harry and Phil, but you do get the idea that there's a little bit of that with like his own two children. And one of them is like more on the, Hey, this is all magic and real. And the other one hews a little bit closer to like Phil uh, and his own point of view. And I think there's a little bit of that there and I, yeah. and it, without it being like beaten over the head, but I found like that. And we'll talk a bit more about that relationship at the end of the movie. I found that really nice in the beginning where like the six year old kid is like, you're right. Like, come on, man. Like it's dad. <laughs> right. Yeah. And which is still really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree. Like my dad had a Christmas tradition where he read a Christmas carol to us every year, which was like his tradition. And I, I love families that have this like thing every Christmas they do. And like if this was something like, oh, a kid, people talk about my dad or my grandpa or my uncle who used to dress as Santa and give mm-hmm. us presents. Like that's a really nice warm memory. But in Harry's mind, this is a lie. Right. Like, my dad lied to us. He robbed us of that magic. And, and knows this is not the real Santa, and therefore I have to take over this role. Uh, I find that fascinating. One of the things that the the more that you, or the more that I have watched this, you really appreciate just what a setup this opening scene is mm-hmm. for the character of Harry and the complete journey that he takes. Because we're also dealing, I think, with this element of isolation, which you touched on earlier. Because he's really, like, he does view things through this very kind of magical lens. Mm -hmm. And he's upset that other people don't see it that way as well. Um, And wants people to kind of come over to his side because... He's by himself over here. Um, you know, his brother is like, well, yeah, that's dad. It's not like, oh, Christmas is ruined. Um, or being scandalized in any kind of way that we've already talked about. It's just like, wow, now I'm all alone. There's no one else for me to kind of share in this magical mm-hmm. bit with. So, um, and that's why I think you see, like, the you know that it plays so well into just how lonely he seems Mm. isolated how distant um he kind of is with people and and kind of putting up this wall because we see him when it jumps to present day he's still very much as an adult um in this magical world he's wearing like little santa pjs yeah um and has a little um, little carousel thing on his bedstand to like always keep him in that spirit. He has the countdown to how many days till Christmas, mm-hmm. yeah. where it's like twenty eight days until. So it's not even quite Thanksgiving yet. He's already... well, actually, I, in the first shot, the first time we see him, it's fifty five days till Christmas. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I. I noted that because I, I went back to an article I wrote on this piece on this film and and is and and I saw that 55 days till Christmas it's it's it just makes you go wow he's really 
Uh, he's pushing it. He is. And he is. Yeah. You know, and there's something where, like, because this is set in 1980 and there's no online community, like, if this was set in modern times, like, Harry could hop online. And there are people, like, he could join the Santa community, mm-hmm. right? And there's, yeah. like, an, actually a whole community of people. Like Mick Foley from the WWE is one of those persons that like would go to Santa conventions and dress like Santa. And so he would have he would be able to much easier like find his people. But here um, he's kind of all alone. And Nicole, I really like what you said there about like, well, he can't share this with his brother. His brother's like, oh, it's dad. And now all the magic is gone for Harry. And it's not like it's a bad thing for for Phil it's just like no it's just like that's really cool but it's not magic Mm -hmm. and this movie is very much like a world without magic and you get into Harry as an adult and you see him at his job and he's really become Santa Claus like he is working at a toy factory called Jolly Dream and you see him like he's the supervisor he's the foreman he's at his desk and right behind him is his giant Santa Claus. Yep. And you couldn't be any more explicit of like what they're going for there for an image. And you contrast like the joy of this image of good old St. Nick with this like drab shirt and tie gray office, no decorations besides that. And instead of like, again, it's like the reverse elf instead of getting these joyous like sing-alongs and songs and everyone's happy and we're making toys for children you get like the union workers that are just working the line Mm -hmm. snapping plastic bits in place on an assembly line it's eight hours of drudgery bell rings next group comes in yeah and harry's just pushing paper he's Mm -hmm. not doing anything um you know, he's sort of, except when he's like coerced by uh, one of his workers to step into his shift, you know, and, and snap the toys together. He can't even stand the toys they're making because they're so cheap yeah. and junky. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, and he's also, but I also find it interesting. He's been, he's functional enough that he's been, that he's good at his job, apparently. Mm-hmm. You know, he's yeah. good enough to get a promotion, to be a supervisor, to um, to sort of keep in good standing with the company. So I, I, I think that, to me, that differentiates him from Travis Bickle. I mean, I know Bickle is like, he's a good cab driver. But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he, that's because he'll drive anybody, right? Um, yeah. Whereas here, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel Harry is, he's, he's so passionate about fulfilling this role that he's going to be good at it anyway. Yeah. It's uh, interesting element. Yeah. And I also, I mean, to, to go back to what you were mentioning, like when you have movies like elf, um, that have a similar tone of like someone kind of displaced, right. Um, someone that is very much in, one kind of scope of reality or trying to get people to come over to one side elf is the happy experience mm-hmm. of that and where it's like everyone can experience joy and isn't this lovely and this is a, this is just like a cold shower of like no no you holidays are hard holidays aren't perfect holidays aren't like necessarily these completely magical things um 
there's there's other elements to it. And I mean, even talking about the the church um, moments, we get um, just a a little bit of uh, some time in the church, seeing people uh, in the pews, and what's funny is that these are people who are basically like nodding off Mm -hmm. or just completely disengaged. So you're not even getting that connection of like that magical bit of the holidays, right? Because if it's not about Santa, it's about the religious components Mm -hmm. of the holiday for folks. And there's not even that. Um, People are like bored. Like this is just a routine that they do. And they come out and they're like, all right, now let's go grab a drink and do whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like that it's, um, I mean, there's also kind of like this consumerism, mm-hmm. uh, kind of commentary going on as well. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just, it's so fun to kind of like pluck all of these yep. little pieces out each time you watch it. Yeah. Cause there is so much more going on here you're right it's not just like this isn't just a guy dresses up like santa and just start indiscriminately starts yeah. killing people like there's a motive behind it there's a reason and it's exploring those motives and it makes you actually even at the end of the movie when he's running away from the mob like you feel for him you actually part of me wants him to get away it's like yeah i don't i feel like I don't want these people to get their hands on him. Like he needs to pay for what he's done, but I don't want this ruthless mob to get their hands on him and do him like indiscriminate harm. Well, it's, it's the Frankenstein thing. It's like, you don't like he's misunderstood. Um, he, he doesn't want to hurt people. Um, necessarily. I mean, Kinda. If if you are real fucked up, he mm-hmm. he will come at you. But like, it's like his connection with kids. Even the naughty kids, he understands that they that they are still capable of seeing that magic of connecting to the magic of the holiday. Um, and so like he, I, I, in in just watching it, um, last night for this record. I kept thinking about Trick or Treat and Sam Mm -hmm. and how it's like he's a representation of like all the good things that we're supposed to think about for the holidays. And if you're not towing the line, if you're not seeing things through that lens, if you're not holding close to the purity and the innocence and the joy of the holidays, he's going to put you in check. That's a really good comparison. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, definitely. Can we talk about the Travis Bickleness and the tra- taxi driver comparisons? Because they really stood out on my watch of here. And I'm like, this reminds me a lot of Taxi Driver. And I'm like, there's no way I'm the first person to ever have that thought. And lo and behold, there's like a dozen articles online <laughs> that talk about that thing specifically. So I was like all happy. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, I have never had an original thought. <laughs> um, well, one of those articles, dozens of articles, was written by me. So <laughs> Excellent. So talk about that, Brian. Well, Can you talk about the comparison of like Bickle talking about the rain that would wash like the sure. junkies away versus the tune that Harry's talking about. Well, I think that, you know, 
there are lots of comparisons. I mean, one of them is they both have these sort of isolating jobs, you know, that, you know, Mm -hmm. just put them by themselves. Occasionally they go around among the other workers, but they just do not know how to interact with people. I think in Harry's uh, case, there's a sense that he is, he desires normalcy. I think Travis does too. That's why he goes and tries to um, create a relationship with Betsy, um, have a connection with Betsy. And then you have uh, Harry, you know, sneaking around outside his brother's house watching him with his wife and children and just being like, there's a, there's a desire for that Mm -hmm. to be him as well. Um, He's got this, he's got this sort of, they both have this savior complex. Um, Like in Travis's case, he's going to save Iris, you know, Jodie Foster's character from, you know, the, life that she's been forced into by, you know, sport and, and the others. Um, and, um, Harry's going to protect the innocence of the children, you know, like the, the, when he confronts the, the children sort of gathered around him at the ending and the adults just sort of ready to attack him, you know, with the knife, the famous shot of him holding the switchblade, all of that, you know, the, the little, and he's saying, you know, they, they believe in me. They, uh, they, uh, have, but you know, the tune, the tune that he's going to, I kind of wonder if that tune is Santa Claus is coming to town because, mm-hmm. you know, it's the, it's the very much the dichotomy of the good and bad, you know, um, he has sort of this, you know, the good will be rewarded and the bad will be punished. I will avenge. Um, and yeah. Right. I mean, the first line of Santa Claus is coming to town as a warning. You better watch out. Watch out. Yeah. Right. Which was the original original title. Yeah. But it's a warning. It's, it's not, joyous it's not uplifting it's telling you like mind your p's and q's yeah which is something you see here with him which plays very different i think now if we talked about elf on the shelf and the surveillance harry the original elf on the shelf um spying on all of these children and not only spying but keeping like a detailed record of all of their good acts in their misdeeds and yeah. which i think plays your comic effect especially as you start to read them mars garcia is, yeah mars garcia and he watching harry run to get the book is also very comical yeah. uh impure thoughts kicks kicks garbage cans uh impure thoughts mars garcia rules man he's so mars funny garcia. he's so funny i want a your subscription to play uh to pet house magazine it's like Kid Mas Garcia. Love it. Um, <laughs> but it's not just with the kids and the tune. He also turns that judgment towards other adults. Absolutely. Like you see mm-hmm. at the Christmas party. And he's Harry's accepted by his bosses. Like we just talked about Brian, about how he's like good enough to be promoted. And it's not a joke. Like his bosses like remind him like, hey, just to remind you, like you're on our side of the ledger now. Like you're not 
a union worker anymore. Like you're actually management. So you got to start thinking like us and they want to run ideas by him. They're like, what do you think of this idea? And Harry has a really good point. He's like, well, how many of these, like when they were like, we're going to donate sick toys to this hospital. Um, and they're like, well, how many sick kids are going to get the toys? Is anyone going to be left out? And like, why are you asking our workers who make pennies on the dollar compared to executives? Why are you asking them to donate their own wages to give out, to give more of these toys to these kids that they're already making? Like, why would you do that when like you can, when you're like flying out to go to these crazy vacations and have all yeah. these bonuses and drive fancy cars. Like, why aren't you giving this money? And he calls them out and he calls his boss stupid, which I really love. He's yeah. like, you're not even smart enough to know the tune, but you to this new guy, you know, the tune, you know what you're doing. You're the worst of all. And I kind of love that. Like Harry, like putting them in his ledger of people that like need to be looked at. Well, I think that that's though the, the game where mm-hmm. it's, you're you're making sure that the kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing but where does that come from it's got to come from the parents right the parents have to teach the lessons and it's the adults in the world that have to kind of keep the magic uh going and keep everything in tow and when he sees the adults failing that he can't necessarily blame the kids. Like he's not going to go and like slice a kid's throat. No. Right. Because that's the failing on the parent. Yeah. And that's the failing of the adults around them. And that when we get to that alley scene, which is, I don't even know what that scene is because I feel like it's almost like a fever dream of his. Um, it, it, he's like, well, I have to be like, they love me because I'm protecting them. That's I'm right. I'm telling them serving. what's right and wrong. They need someone to tell them that. And yeah, that's one of the things he says. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's calling out adults and including those that he works with to be like, you guys aren't. You guys are not living the spirit. And mm-hmm. so I'm. I will go Sam on you. And that's even the way he doles out punishment too, because like. Mas Garcia drives him nuts, but he gives him, what, a big bag of dirt, right? That's yeah. what he leaves for him, you know, and then, but he smashes uh, the <laughs> executive skull with a with a hatchet outside the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So <laughs> there's the the approach to uh, to adults and children is is uh, is different. Yeah. So he is though really super creepy with the little girl and i'm drawing a blank on her name oh yeah I, uh, he has uh, a little picture of her and everything it's very disturbing yeah, yeah it's, it's like, very disturbing she's so darling and it's like uh. do you think that plays as creepy in 1980 i think it's Susie. i think she's Susie. yes yeah, it's, it's Susie. Susie. yes mm-hmm. do you think that plays as creepy in 1980 or do you th- I think it plays. I think knowing what we know now about predators, uh-huh. yeah, uh, I think that plays a lot creepier now um, than it probably did back in 1980. But yeah, I think the musical cues in particular, mm-hmm. 
add that extra layer of ick to it that well, I don't know if it was intended. I think it was well, supposed to like, play creepy. Yeah. Yeah, because he's like, you look so beautiful. And she mm-hmm. stands up and curtsies for him. And it's like, I um, was born in 81. And so I grew up kind of in an era where there was this huge switch to you know, kids can be outside by themselves and roam the streets and do mm-hmm. whatever they want versus, oh my God, stranger danger. Stranger danger, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're that last generation that did that. Yep. And so I got kind of both ends to where when I was very young, it was like, yeah, if you want to walk up uh, the road. Um, and I lived in a very, 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 very rural area. So um, I. A completely different experience from those that were probably living in more uh, kind of populated areas. But I, uh, yeah, like you're just getting to like this, the kid on the milk box era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's supposed to be creepy because it just, it lingers with her. Like he's very fixated on her and but i think that probably from his perspective it's just that she's the example right like Mm -hmm. she's a good kid and she's very sweet and kind and like this is this is the example this is the the way that all kids should be and i'm gonna measure garcia up against her and he's always gonna fail short um so I I don't think that he has creepy intentions with her. I think that he's looking at it as uh more like she's very she's very cute and sweet and she's going to be my shining example. Yeah. Everyone's going to be up against her. And it is very gendered. It is very Yeah. This is like the gendered expectations of what like a perfect little girl would act like. Uh, so there is that part of it, I think, that definitely doesn't age very well. Um, because now you could have a girl, like, mm-hmm. going through penthouse. Mm-hmm. And, um, which would be amazing. Which would be absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I'm um, just glad I gave up on Santa when I did. There you go. Yeah. When you found, you were actually going through the closet looking for mom's penthouses. Yeah. Yes. I mean, look, I'll never forget when, when Madonna and Vanessa Williams, not in the same issue, like they leaked Vanessa Williams's nude photos, like Miss America, I think. Yeah. At the time. And then Madonna had done like Penthouse. Or, or did they probably play? I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. I, I, I think don't they know. maybe this was like before she was a huge pop star and then they came out after. But like my dad had those like. Then my dad was not a guy to, that there's the I found those issues like in a closet next to the garage. Like what an awakening. Like and those are the only things that he only Playboys he ever bought, to my knowledge. And trust me, I looked after <laughs> finding those. <laughs> Listeners, I searched high and low in the house. Um so you could, you know, so Nicole was, you were looking for mom's Playboys, basically, is what it was. I was. It's okay to him, it's okay. I was. It's fine. It's all good. Um, so listeners of a certain age, back in the day, we did not have 
pornography at our fingertips and our phones at any moment. You had to actually go and you'd go to the woods. You'd go into the <laughs> woods and you would find boxes and these boxes contain magazines that would be wet and sticky and have uh all right moving on i have just made harry's naughty list yeah um this scene i I think there's like these alternating scenes too that really work where you see him trying to be santa and really struggling and everyone's reaction to him but then when he's able to like find the tune as Mm -hmm. harry might say like outside of the hospital when he encounters yep. the security guard and is really stumbling and like trying to come down hard on the guy, like, don't you see who I am? And it's like, I see a crazy dude dressed like Santa Claus at midnight on Christmas Eve, trying to break into a children's hospital. But then he's able to recover from that. How do you measure how others react to Harry in this role? Other adults in their alternating responses to him. I mean, I, uh, again, I think it's those moments of reality, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're seeing things through his lens of, I really want the world to find me, to, to, to find me as Santa, to need me as Santa. Um, and the kids get it, the adults don't. And so I think that it's, the moments that you see him struggling the most are when he's up against the adults. Like, the whole confrontation at the church starts off with people kind of mocking him because mm-hmm. they're like, who is this dude standing outside the church on Christmas Eve in a Santa outfit? So they're kind of mocking him. They're doing a fake interview. Um, and he... Like, it... I think it's probably getting into the mental health component but that's probably where it's harder for him to kind of keep that illusion and that wall breaks and he's like wow and same thing with the the alleyway with the parents being like no we don't want this strange man just handing out things to our kids that Mm -hmm. we don't know um and so yeah um i one of the moments that almost kind of made me cry in watching it um, last night was the moment when he glues on the beard Mm -hmm. for the Mm -hmm. first time and he's like it's me Um, like he's worked so hard to become Santa and now he's starting to see himself truly as Santa with that physical modification and I think um yeah, it, it. I I really love how it sets up that. Like I said, I don't know if it's structure or tone, that break to, for us to be mm-hmm. in his head a lot, and then, oh no, this is actually not what we're we're seeing, and it's strange. Do you think that it works better because he does make a good classic Santa? Like when you see him in the full outfit, he looks like Santa. He looks the role. Okay, well, here, so to that, yes, although I like how he's dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but I, I like that he's dirty, and yet the kids are, the kids comment on it, but mm-hmm. they don't, they're not bothered. They're not like, ew. They're like, oh, well, he comes down chimneys. Like, yeah, you're going to get soot. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but there's a moment when he's talking to Phil on the phone where he's out of his suit and he just has like the pants and the suspenders. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he has the belly as well, like padding or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when I focused in on that, I was like, that's a, like, that's really well done padding. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it fits him very well. It's not, like, lumpy or um, at all unrealistic. Like, this is someone who is so committed to, like, pulling off this whole, like, moment that, I don't know, I was like, damn, that's that's professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's ball Santa quality. It's high quality. Yeah. And I think the beard looks great. I think the only thing that gives it away is his eyes always look sad. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, you have the line of about shaving, which is uh, something along the lines of like every, every day you shave, you see yourself one day closer to death. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Which I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like that is just kind of a speaking about like we're all going to die, we're all expiring meat bags. Um but also like I like I only have so much time on earth to fulfill my mission of Santa. I one of the things that struck me watching it a couple times this week when he goes to the Christmas party, like, and I think I love that this scene takes place after the massacre outside the church. When he goes to the Christmas party and he's confronted by like the two men that are in the cups, like they've had a few drinks. They're a bit jolly. He's immediately wary Mm -hmm. and he's immediately on guard because you're right. Like you can, you've said like, that's when like the magic breaks down a little bit and he is not Santa. He's Harry and mm-hmm. Harry isn't someone who's respected by other people. Harry is someone who's not listened to by other people. Harry is someone that people walk over. No one walks over Santa Claus. People love Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Nobody loves Harry. So when they approach him, his eyes, the soundtrack kicks in. It gets that like pulsing synth score for a minute and his eyes start to narrow, and he starts to reach behind him again right. for a weapon. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Mm-hmm. And then they all cheer him, and it softens, and it becomes this really magical scene. And what do we think of this kind of like Christmas party scene where Harry gets like a brief moment, like probably the only real moment he gets to really shine in public is Santa throughout this whole escapade. Well, I think they're feeding so much into his delusion here and it just brings him, you know, it's sort of like, oh, hey, I got a lot of likes on Twitter. Um, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's an, it's the endorphin rush. It's all of that going mm-hmm. on, I think, you know. Um, but then the children especially that are just, because, you know, the children adore him. I mean, the children believe in him. They think that he is the real Santa Claus. And I think that 
this is one of the moments where Harry is like, wait a minute, maybe I am the real Santa Claus. Maybe yeah. it's not just me in this suit with maybe I really am. And there are just a few moments of that. One of them is when he puts on the beard. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think as the, um, as the movie goes on, you know, and it, the delusions are, they try to break, you know, like when he can't fit down the chimney uh, in the later scene. And, and, but, but then it just kind of keeps coming back. It's like, no, wait a minute. I am Santa Claus. It's, it's really, his delusion is just so fed by this sequence. I think it is. This is, I think one of the key moments in the whole movie is this scene. Um, and it sort of lays out his philosophy too, where he tells the kids is like, you know, if you're good and listen to your parents and teachers, you'll be rewarded. And if not, I'll bring you something horrible. And the way he says that is scary. scary. (laughs) It's like, and I think it's, great how they pan over to like some of the parents in that moment yeah and it's almost like the parents get that look of like wait a minute who did we let into this party like we don't know this person right what's going on here right now um like we made a little bit of a mistake here and then he has that belly laugh and the kids are the first ones to laugh like they're like okay santa like we totally buy it and they're on board like that's the deal like that's the covenant we've made yeah if we're good presents if we're bad coal you know like right. or a lump of poop or whatever like that's that's the deal well and the thing is i think that um the kids are just like well this is what you've all the, always told us you know mom mm-hmm. and dad right. so uh, they're just going with it you know, so it doesn't freak them out. They're just like, yeah, we know. We know this is it. So it's, um, yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> it's a creepy it's another, scene. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, I think it, I don't know. It might be my favorite scene in the movie in some ways, just because it's so kind of fascinating. You know, mm-hmm. he, because, because Harry just has so much joy, you know, in this sequence. He's so fully committed to this thing he's created for himself at this yeah. point it's really something yeah and then you get to the next murder where he rewards frank's children right for being good boys and girls but he punishes frank and he punishes frank for making him not only work the assembly line but making a mockery of Harry by going out drinking and during the shift. Going and out Steve. Yeah. Yeah. This. Yeah. And I love that. He's yeah. not punishing him. as I don't think he's punishing him as Santa in that moment. Nah. He's punishing him. As Harry. Harry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And the way, the way he kills him with the star topper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, I mean, that's, that's some, that, that's where it sort of delves a little bit towards the silent night, deadly night territory. Yeah. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting scene. And like I said, I think it has sort of that um, it at the beginning of the scene attempts to crush his delusion because he can't get down the chimney, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, but he sort of retrieves it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and then you get the just a brief moment with the kids mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, OK, I'm back in Santa mode. I got to be a Santa. Um 
Because, yeah, I do think that he's a little bit jarred because those things that don't fit within kind of a delusion are going to jar you. They're going to make it hard to stick to that. And I, the way that he navigates all of these different circumstances is so fascinating. And I, I do love just that he has like this very particular look after he kills him. Yeah. And then you see the kids, and it's like, okay. Dang and the that. kids are smiling still. Yeah. They're, they're like, like, well, gotta go. Yeah, and you get the mom scream. It's a great scream. Yeah. Really sells that scene. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about the Frankenstein comparison. I want to touch on that here as we get towards the end. And, you know, writer-director Lewis Jackson, he said that, you know, even though he got to make this movie because John Carpenter's Halloween had been such a success and it really had given birth to the slasher genre now, like, okay, well, what else can we make that could kind of give us these returns? Um, He had written this movie years before. Like he had basically like had a little bit of weed, gotten high and, you know, had this idea of like Santa like holding a knife and was like, oh, there's something there mm-hmm. and wrote this like screenplay. But he felt like this movie owed a lot more to like universal monsters and Frankenstein in particular than the slasher subgenre. And I think you we've touched on that with like Harry being so misunderstood and feeling so out of place. Yeah. Um, but also the last act of this movie is we're going to talk like, I think for the Patreons, we need to do like Frankenstein bingo in the winter. <laughs> and like one of them will be like villagers have torches and uh, right. torches and pitchforks. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Because you get that here. We talked about like the father that's about to confront Harry when he puts the kids between them and the kids like they're me like, no, we're not. Can you imagine the parents like pulling Santa apart limb from limb in front of their children and how traumatic that would be no matter what this dude has done? Yeah, I know. the, The idea of, pulling a knife on Santa, stabbing him in the face with the the brooch and everything. Um, it's just, they're scarring these children for life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I know they're attempting to protect him because at this point, Harry's yeah. become known. They, he is known yeah. in the community that there's a guy walking around pretending he's Santa and he's he killed three people in front of a church. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's... <laughs> Uh, but then uh, some of the discussions like the cops have are kind of, so maybe it's a good thing what he's doing. Cause he's putting, you know, the fear of the myth back in, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really kind of a interesting scene. I think that that whole idea was expanded on with, um, uh, rare exports, that movie, mm-hmm. that that's the whole idea behind that movie, in my opinion. Um, so, and I love that one too, but, um, yeah, so it, I've yet to watch that. Oh, I've yet to see Rare Exports. It's it's fantastic. It's I love that movie so much. Yeah, um, I can't remember where I was going with that. So, <laughs> but uh. well, I the thing and exactly to what you're talking about with the parents in this moment, but 
you were were in in kind of this alley confrontation we're really in conflict with like these two different things going on one is that we have harry's delusion mm -hmm. and we're still kind of trying to see things through his perspective um but we also are now with these parents who are now being like who is this stranger like engaging with our kids what is he doing and we understand in that reality like this is someone that has killed yep and so we're trying to like suss out like what are the stakes here um where and how will things and could things turn um and always thinking about like are the kids in danger i always love a horror film where a kid gets killed um because i think that it's just like it's throw it, it wants to throw out those expectations of like we have to preserve kids it's such a taboo it is yeah it so, raises the stakes so, quite a bit yeah but i the threat of the child honestly comes from the dad yeah when he has the knife mm -hmm. and he goes and runs up to her and the mom is screaming in the background watch out um even to him and she <laughs> When he loses the knife and she goes, picks it up and takes it to Santa. I was like, go off, Angelica. Let let them know where you stand. Yeah, absolutely. And nice to know that the kids will always pick Santa over their parents. Yes, I say. yes. I think, that, yeah, it is. But <laughs> there's, no, there's no attempt to, like, de-escalate. There's no attempt to, like... Let's yeah. safely get the children away and maybe, like, get this guy, you know, like, if not get him some help, let's get him away from the kids and bring him somewhere or call in some people that can, like, get him peacefully away. It's like once he runs away, it's like we're going straight to Pitchfork and... Uh, those torches are torch. crazy, though. I mean, those... Oh, those, my God, they're, they're awesome. <laughs> it's, it's like they... It, that's that's a pretty crazy moment because like where did they get these kinds of torches? Thank you. You know, like, um, how did they fashion these? It's Christmas and, like, night. Um, Four yeah, and they have like um, they have like meshing on them and stuff. Mm -hmm. They're like professional torches. They're not yeah. like you know you took a stick and you put a rag on the end. They're mm -hmm. they're the real deal. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Torches are us, yeah, basically. Yeah, pretty much. It's where yeah. you would go. Yeah. Or, like, everybody asks for torches for Christmas, so that's what they got. Like, Every <laughs> all the dads in the neighborhood just happen to ask for those, and they're like, we get to bust them out. Fantastic. Um, well, and the, it and was they, clear that, um, I mean, that is a choice. That's a directorial choice to, mm -hmm. to do that because you're definitely evoking universal monsters at that point. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're, yeah. if you're whipping out the torches in 1980 instead of flashlights and rifles, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that, um, you're definitely trying to evoke, yeah. um, classic yeah. monster movies. Yeah. And it would have been a time when those movies were in constant rotation absolutely like mm -hmm. creature features uh -huh. saturday afternoons like that's where i grew up like watching those movies yeah. like every saturday afternoon there was going to be a universal monster movie on uh television so you would have been able to watch those all the time like it would have been a familiar gag 
at that point. And it's a wonderful chase scene. You really do feel for Harry here, despite everything he's done. You can feel his like his fear and his confusion about like, I'm Santa. Like, why don't people love me anymore? What have I done that's so bad? I'm punishing the people that deserve it. And he's terrified. And you can understand why he is. I love the shot when he thinks he's gotten away and he's in the foreground. And then it's pitch black almost. And then the villagers, oh, the villagers, the townsfolk Mm -hmm. show up behind him and he has to start running again. Mm -hmm. And it's a great shot, like really well executed. And that's one of the things. This is a really well shot movie. There's so many great, you know, you can tell, you know, just some of the tracking shots or the nice low angle Mm -hmm. things. There's a great at the beginning. There's like a Citizen Kane shot with the snow Mm -hmm. globe in the foreground. There's all kinds of great stuff in this. It's really a good looking movie, uh, considering how inexpensive it was. I mean, I think obviously the the parallels to Frankenstein are there. I. I also think a little bit about the vigilante justice of Freddy Krueger. Sure, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but with the parents, I mean, obviously this is very different, but I, I don't know. Like, it's. I like the way that this is set up because it does make us, because of the parallels to Frankenstein, we're like, we are very much looped into Harry's way of thinking, which is like, they don't understand me. They don't get me. They're just not, mm-hmm. they're not in tune with me. Um, and it just makes it really sad. Like mm-hmm. even his violence has just been trying to get people to understand yeah, where he's coming from, I guess. And yeah. I, yeah. And I think, too, like you mentioned a vigilante justice of Elm Street. It's also coming off the backs of like Death Wish a few years mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And Dirty Harry. Harry movies. Yeah. So that's yeah. very much in the air as well. You get this final confrontation between Harry and Phil, you know, and men will do anything, you know, except go to therapy, even choke <laughs> Santa nearly to death but i love phil here i love how phil is like i was six years old why are you putting this on me right and you feel like 20 30 years of frustration of a of a younger brother that you know loves his older brother but is also like scared of him and frustrated by him and terrified of him and also really angry like this is what you put me through for how many years Mm -hmm. uh and then horrified at what he did like he thinks he's killed Harry at this point, and it's a great. Scene. And it's interesting and I don't think too. Phil is a villain. No, I don't think Phil's a villain either. But it, his um, his wife is watching all of this happen from the mm-hmm. same. It's the same house as it's the same childhood house, yeah. and so she's watching it from behind the you know the banister, mm-hmm. and that. It, so she's watching uh, sort of her delusions of Santa Claus shatter. In mm-hmm. from the same vantage point where uh, Harry's delusions of Santa Claus were shattered mm-hmm. too, and it's just like, it's it's re- it's really, I love this movie so much. Okay, um, it's a great. Flag. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> when they put him back in the van, though, when when Harry mm-hmm. punches out 
fell. <laughs> That's one of the funniest shots, though. It it, really it's is. really awkward. It's like, oh, we should say, you know, Phil is played by Jeffrey DeMunn, um, mm-hmm. who's, you know, the blob and all sorts of stuff. One of the, one of the, those, one of the, that guy actors, right? Um, and he's so good in this. He's in that small part. But, uh, yeah, he I, does do great in this. Yeah. I like their relationship, and I you're I know you mentioned it too, Mike. I think at the top, but just this idea of having to be responsible a little bit for Harry too, yeah. and the concern and care. Like we talk a lot about Harry feeling isolated and alone, and not really having um, people around him. But his brother very much like loves him and wants him to be in his life and to be super involved with the family but he I think the moments of reality that Harry processes is probably just stemmed from like you ruined kind of the the myth and the magic mm-hmm. for me and you're doing okay you're living a good life mm-hmm. a happy life you can still be happy I can't yeah. I can't be content with that. But I think if you're Phil, at a certain point, too, you're like, how long am I going to have to, like, endure this, these rambling? You ever hear, if you have that relative where everyone is just like, just let them go. Just Just smile and nod. It's easier to just let, smile and nod, just let them do their thing because it's easier than correcting them. And like, that is so hard to do. And like, how many years has Phil had to like smile and grit his teeth? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, I can see both sides of that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, for sure. What do we make of this? Ending? <sighs> what are your takes? What is Brian? You just kind of like genius. Field goal. It's yeah. genius. I, I, that's what I think of this ending. Okay, everyone is like talks about the ending of this movie. No one understands. I don't think I understand it. I'm pretty sure that Harry goes off the edge and dies. Mm-hmm. But he has given so fully over to his fantasy that he just flies off out of sight, and everyone. Mm-hmm in his imagination at least, sees him do it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I think that it's it's interesting because we do get this shot of Harry. Right. And it looks like he's dead slash dying or something. Mm-hmm. Because we have to think about this in in a couple of different contexts. One is that he's finally getting what he wants, mm-hmm. like the ultimate thing which is to prove the magic to people, right? Even the adults, because we see see adults being like, ooh, that's not real. Um, uh, we know that that's not what's actually happening, but yeah, I think this is like his Thelma and Louise yeah. moment of going off the cliff and my last moments when I'm in my head, I'm just going to be like in... I've lived my best moment here. And there's also that wonderful moment before that where he's driving towards the edge and he hears the sleigh bells and he just kind of looks up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they came for me, you know? 
Santa came oh. for me. I've done I've done good for him. He got his wings. He got his wings. Santa got his wings. Yeah. Excellent. Harry got his wings. Uh, well, I think we nailed it. Yeah. I think we nailed Christmas Evil. Right? Oh, what a great flick. Oh, jeez. It I, really I, is. I, it goes up in my estimation every time I watch it. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, I can see. And I still feel like it's a criminally underseen. It still feels like it doesn't have that cachet that a lot of other mm-hmm. Christmas horror movies have. And I'm really glad we covered it. Like, I'm going to add this to the rotation every year. Just that performance is just so good. Just like, what yeah. a what a picture. All right, my friends, what do we have coming up? Nicole, what is going on with Bodies of Horror? Bodies of Horror is trucking along. Um, I may have an episode uh, in the pipeline with the one and only Mr. Brian uh, coming up, which I'm super excited about. The most recent episode uh, dropped this week with uh, another pod in the pendulum uh, fave Devon mm-hmm. talking about Swallow, um, which is such a bananas, uh, amazing movie. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm going to be uh, switching uh, gears a little bit and focusing in on eugenics uh, oh, at the beginning yeah. of the year, and talking about Frankenstein, a book that I've been reading. Um, talks a little bit about Frankenstein and its conception in terms of how the character was built was to emphasize some of these elements um, around eugenics at the time. So uh, interesting stuff. So I'm really excited to get into that. But you can uh, find me over at the Anatomy of a Scream uh, feed wherever you get your pods. Um, and you can find me on the socials on Twixt for now. I am Bodies Whore. I'm uh, Loving Life over at Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I'm Bodies of Whore Podcast there. And at Blueski, uh, I am Bodies of Whore. Excellent. Brian, what do you have going on? Well, um, I, writing slowed down a little bit. Just been busy with a. Uh, I've been playing a show, uh, playing guitar for a show, so it's been keeping me busy. But hey, I do have things over at Bloody Disgusting and Manor Vellum uh, from time to time. I've got a piece coming up to Manor Vellum about uh, sort of the. It's a brief history of holiday horror, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I thought it was a fun article to write. Um, and over at Movies for Life, uh, if you want to dip into our archives, if you're feeling festive, you can listen to us talk about It's a Wonderful Life and Scrooged. And then last year we talked about Christmas Evil and uh, P2, uh, which are both... Uh, P2 is great, too. A really good one. This year, we went action and we went sly. And so we are covering First Blood and Cobra as our Christmas movies this year. And it was a blast to record that should be dropping sometime within the next week or so. And you can find me on, on, uh, on the various socials at Brian waves 42, and you can find, um, the movies for life podcast on Twitter and Instagram at movie life pod. Sorry. I just can't call it X. <laughs> Perfect. No, nope. yeah, nor should you. Nor should you. Well, 
Listeners, thank you for listening and thanks for checking out our holiday horror lineup this season. Honestly, just thought it'd be a really fun way to kind of cover some like really festive one-off movies that don't fall under our normal purview. Uh, And next week, it's going to be Christmas. So we're going to do something a little different again. Last year, we covered a straight up Christmas classic with It's a Wonderful Life, which was a awesome conversation with Brian and myself. Like we covered, I think, like the greatest Christmas movie of them all. Um, so it's only downhill from there. <laughs> and we plan on doing that again this year with our uh, good friends Kermit and Fozzie and Gonzo and Miss Piggy. And we're going to chat, I think, what is probably the best adaptation of like Charles Dickens' classic Christmas story. We're going to be talking It's a Muppet Christmas Carol next week. And it falls on Christmas Day. Like it's Usually it's a bonus episode, um, but because Christmas is on a Monday and that's when we usually drop episodes, I might drop it on Christmas Eve just so like when folks are kind of like doing their last minute shopping, maybe you'll throw it in because... Uh, I got to be honest, like I have a hard time imagining people waking up Christmas morning and wanting to spend time with me. My family doesn't even want to do that, <laughs> apparently. So why would you? But that's a story for my therapist. Um, thanks, mom. Anyway, uh, it will be a Muppet Christmas Carol next week, followed by our top 10 horror films of 2023. That's going to be on New Year's Day. And then we're going to be getting down to some real business with the first eight episodes of the new year. Brian and I are planning out our deep dive into universal uh, monsters with all things Frankenstein. Everything from the classic 1931 adaptation all the way through Abbott and Costello meet. Um, So we're really excited for that. I've already started my notes on that. um, So we're lining up some guests as well. Follow us on page. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum. Follow us on Blueski at Pod and the Pendulum. I'll throw an Instagram up at some point. Uh, I should probably do that in the new year. Uh, go to our website, podandthependulum.com. That's where all of our back episodes are. You can leave us a review on there. A free and easy way to support us is to rate us review us and subscribe to us make sure you leave us five stars in a review on the apple store huge way for new listeners to discover us and it costs you nothing but like two minutes of your time if you have the means to do so consider becoming a patron we have about 50 hours of bonus content with more coming and we're going to be adding uh, more exclusive shows and materials every month Your patronage goes a long way to keeping the show going. We'd appreciate your help. So head over to patreon.com, pod and the pendulum to become a member today. I believe later this week, Brian, myself, and maybe one other are going to be sitting down to talk Godzilla minus one as our Patreon bonus episode for the month, which is a spoiler alert. One of my favorite movies of the year. I think will be good. It's rad. Yeah. So, yeah, and here start at two bucks. I mean, like, come on, that's super cheap. So that's it for this week. We wish everyone a safe and happy holiday season. We thank you for listening, and we will be back soon. And if you're good, we've got great surprises for you. But if you're bad, we will leave you horrible, horrible things. Take care. And happy holidays.